Open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Last night in your preparatory reading as families, you read the 12th chapter of Revelation, which is about a war in heaven and the great victory and salvation, strength and kingdom, won by the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil, Satan himself, that old serpent, and his devils were cast out of heaven into the earth where they have sought to persecute the church which is the woman in that passage of the Lord Jesus for a long time. Though a short time to Satan's existence. And so knowing he had little time, he made war against the saints of the Most High God. We've read about it before in Daniel 7, and we've read about it in other places. In Colossians chapter 2, I want to read to you six verses that are dear to me. And I hope they're dear to you about what we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we're going to remember these verses as we come to his table in a few minutes. Colossians 2, starting at verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross." And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen Amen and amen. I hope in a few minutes you'll appreciate this passage more and that it will serve us well as we come to the Lord's table. You have an enemy. You have always had an enemy. This enemy hates you and has a lifelong ambition to destroy you. Your enemy is much smarter, much stronger, cannot die, and purposes to destroy you. You have an enemy. Any other enemy you have is nothing to be in compared in comparison to him not even michael the archangel rails against this enemy but must resort and defer to saying the lord rebuke thee jude the ninth verse tells us that when there was a disputation between michael and the devil about the body of moses 
Michael could not bring a railing accusation against the devil, who is your enemy. Your enemy snuck into your grandmother's house and seduced your first grandmother to disobey God and commit suicide. Your enemy is Lucifer, the old wicked serpent from Eden called the devil and Satan. You have an enemy. He is going to spend eternity in the lake of fire and he receives satisfaction and gratification for everyone he can take there with him. He got your race condemned to the lake of fire if it were not for the man Christ Jesus. God promised in the Garden of Eden that through a great son born to that cursed grandmother of yours, he would save you. It's the first evangelistic, evangelical promise in the Bible. In Genesis 3.15, He shall bruise the serpent's head. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. Your murderous enemy knew that his conqueror was going to come from that woman. And there were two brothers on earth. Cain and Abel. Abel was righteous. Of the two brothers, the Lord Jesus Christ only appeared like he could come from Abel. And so this enemy of yours, to try to cut the bloodline of the Savior that was going to deliver you, stirred up Cain to kill his brother. And the ground soaked up the blood of Abel, the righteous Abel, who is in Hebrews chapter 11. So it appeared that the the seed of the righteous had been cut off. But Adam knew Eve, his wife again, and she conceived and bare a son and called his name Seth. For, said she, I have obtained a man from the Lord in place of Abel whom Cain slew. Praise God. I want you to know that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is warfare of the devil against God and the devil against our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When there was a righteous man named Seth, and in the days of his son Enos, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Satan brought about the invention of polygamy in the family of Lamech, so that the daughters of men were multiplying greatly on the earth, and he tried to breed the righteous line out. But God drowned the earth with a flood and started over again with one one man from Seth, from Enos. His name is Noah. And so we've got Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, who walked with God, and who feared God in the ark. God brings him out of that ark. Your enemy accused noble relatives, like Job, of fearing God and believing Him only because God blessed him financially. Only because God blessed him agriculturally. This enemy of of yours had free access into heaven, and he would be there among the sons of God when they gathered, meaning the angels, 
to give account of what they had been doing. And the Lord would ask Satan what he'd been doing. And he'd been going to and fro in the earth. Your enemy was wandering around this earth trying to destroy as many men's lives as possible. And those men that lived righteously, he would falsely accuse them and slander them for false motives in heaven to God. You read about that in Revelation chapter 12 last evening. And I just read it to you a few minutes ago. Your enemy knew that his conqueror, your Savior, was going to come through Jacob's son named Judah. So he corrupted Jacob's sons. But God was not defeated because out of incest with Tamar came the royal line of his conqueror. And I have preached to you about these things recently in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It ought to excite you greatly. Your enemy knew that his conqueror, the devil knew, that his conqueror would come through David. So Satan got a hold of David and caused him to number Israel that cost 70,000 lives. But God preserved the life of David and the lives of Solomon and Nathan that came from David. So the royal line was intact. Your enemy knew that your Savior was going to come out of Bethlehem. So as he has done from the beginning and is still doing today, he moved a king to decree that all the children should be killed in the region of Bethlehem to destroy his infant competitor, yea, conqueror. Your enemy. But Jesus was long gone. Jesus, our Savior, was down in Egypt. Praise the Lord. The royal seed was yet alive. The great conqueror was still living. Your enemy saw the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of 30 get baptized by John the Baptist. And he tempted him sorely in the wilderness to get him to sin. And if he could get him to sin, the victory would be lost to the Lord Jesus Christ. But our Savior rebutted every attempt to get him to sin with, it is written. Praise God for your Savior and for my Savior. His conqueror chose 12 men to be his apostles. And Satan, your enemy, because he hated you and doesn't want you to make it to heaven, went into Judas Iscariot and caused him to go make a covenant with the Jews and a conspiracy with him to betray him into their hands, to destroy him. Your enemy sifted Peter and other apostles and filled them with fear. So they ran away from the Lord Jesus Christ in his hour of need. And it left Jesus all alone where the devil could focus all his efforts on him. And the gaping bulls of Bashan and other, and the lion and the dog described in Psalm 22 made war against the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. Your enemy used all the means in his arsenal and in his army, in the host that he commands, in the principalities and powers in heavenly places, in those times to defeat the Lord Jesus Christ, 
your enemy, had you a willing slave. He had your fallen nature from Eden, and the blindness and darkness and blackness of your mind, so that you were following him, which we read in the first assembly this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and you were walking according to the prince of the power of the air. You were willingly in the devil's kingdom against the Lord Jesus Christ, who had been promised in Eden to deliver us from the death and eternal condemnation our first parents got us in. You did not care and could not see, for he had blinded your eyes to everything from God. 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 3 and 4. Your enemy, as prince and God of this world, had deceived the whole world, and you were deceived right along with them. By nature, you were the children of wrath, even as others. He is after you every day to destroy and ruin you for time and eternity. Except for that royal seed that made it through. By the grace and power of Almighty God, who has given us the greatest drama in the history of the universe, and all other dramas put together cannot touch this one. There's been a conspiracy and a war going on, but our Lord Jesus Christ defeated your enemy. God in the Garden of Eden promised that Jesus would bruise the serpent's head. A head wound is a fatal wound. And God promised it then. And we look in the pages of Scripture and we see the efforts made against the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that genealogy was intact in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and did as the Father had purposed He would do. Catholics, being the profane blasphemers that they are, give this victory to the woman. In Genesis 3.15, Mary, they say, bruised the serpent's head. And we know it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary needed a Savior as much as Samson or anyone else that was ever saved. She said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my heart hath rejoiced in God my Savior. When she spoke of the birth of her virgin son, her virgin-born son, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 2 very quickly with me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. The seed of the woman, Jesus of Nazareth, was made of flesh and blood, that through death, because you have to have flesh and blood in order to die, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. How did Satan get the power of death over us? By getting our first parents to break the commandment that had attached to it the promised retribution of death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Every time he gets you to sin, it brings death. Unless there's a Savior. But look at the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ was given flesh and blood exactly like you're made, that through death 
he might destroy him. So that it was by death, taking the punishment of God upon himself and dying for our sins, he would deliver us from the claim that the devil had against us. This is why Jesus Christ came. This is the drama. This is the seed of the woman. He made it. Of course he made it. The God of heaven wasn't going to be disappointed. And don't let me sound like he barely made it. He certainly made it. He surely made it. But there were many efforts made against him. And they're in the pages of scripture from the first pages of Genesis to Revelation 12. There was war in heaven. But someone lost. And someone won. Someone got to sit down. And someone is in the bottomless pit. Look at Luke 11. As if we haven't been here before, but we'll pretend we haven't. To see if you can enjoy it as much as you should. The Lord Jesus Christ is casting out spirits. And he cast a devil out of a man that was dumb. He could not speak in the 14th verse. His enemies that were there among the Jews said in the 15th verse, Jesus is casting out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And Jesus goes on to explain in a number of verses that Satan, being an intelligent leader of a real and lasting kingdom, would not be divided against himself, so that's an impossibility. And there's much more that could be said. It's been said before. I want to go right to verse 20. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. If there is a strong man, and he has a palace, and he's armed, he's called a strong man because he's stronger than most. The, the, the adjective strong identifies him as being different from the average. Being a strong man and being armed, he has a palace, and the things that he has in that palace are safe from anyone else. Unless there's a stronger man. Verse 22, But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. The armor that the devil trusted in was ignorance and darkness and deception and blindness, and death. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by being the light of the world, and by dying himself, took away his armor, that is death. He destroyed the power of the devil, and spoiled his, and divided his spoils. What were his spoils? You and me. We were his spoils. Don't forget these words. We are the spoils of the Lord Jesus Christ, rescued by a stronger man, was the devil a strong man? Strong indeed. Did he have a claim of God's justice against us for eternal torment? Yes, indeed. But Jesus took it upon himself so that we could be delivered from that. And he came into that palace. And Colossians 1.13 tells us, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That is a vital transaction where we were delivered from our death in trespasses and sins, where we willingly follow the devil into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by a vital new nature that seeks to obey him. Praise the Lord for that. And I like the word translated. How much do you think Enoch participated in his trip to heaven from earth when he was translated? 
How much do you think one language participates in being translated by a translator into another language? The same amount. None. We've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Enoch went to heaven because he was not. He just disappeared and appeared in heaven. God translated him. And we, we were in the kingdom and the palace of the devil, and we were translated out of it into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love your stronger man? There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Yes, of course, we believe more than anyone else that Jesus is Jehovah. We do not believe that Jesus is begotten in his sonship, in his divine nature. We believe that in his divine nature, Jesus is not the eternal son. He is the eternal God. We believe that Jesus is Jehovah fully without modifying those words at all. He is unbegotten in every respect. He is the stronger man. There is a man that sits at the right hand of God who for eternity will be subordinate to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 28. Describe that. Jesus the man is our Savior. Jesus was made of flesh and blood. He took on him the nature of the seed of Abraham, not the nature of an angel. He did not come to redeem angels. He came to redeem some men. And so by dying, he destroyed death by being killed in our place as a substitute. And by death, destroyed the power that the devil had against us. There is a being so much more intelligent and stronger than anyone you will ever meet in this world. But he's been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll but resist him, he will flee. Because he hates the name that you sing and the name by which you are called, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3. O Lord, help us appreciate your word that directs us to appreciate and love your Son, Jesus Christ. The triumph of Jesus Christ. The victory of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Ever been there and done that? For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ came to destroy this great enemy you have that wants to take you down to hell with him. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Oh, brethren, we read about our brethren in the faith in Revelation chapter 12. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. What is their testimony? Jesus Christ is the Son of God and my hope of eternal redemption. Is that enough? They laid down their lives. They believed that so much. And that was the evidence of their life. Look at John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You don't have to wonder when the devil was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of heaven when Jesus died on the cross and destroyed his works. He had no further claims in heaven. Because the Bible in Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. 
It goes on in the next verse to say, in the 34th verse, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus is over your enemy. All angels, principalities, and powers, devils, are under him. And he's reigning over them at the right hand of God. Come back to Colossians chapter 2. With that little bit of introduction, let's quickly scan these verses again and see what the Apostle Paul was writing about. Colossians chapter 2. They at Colossae, like most of the Gentile converts in the days of the apostles, were being threatened with Jewish legalism. And I do not want to spend very much time on that, but if you were to read all of Colossians chapter 2, you know that it takes up the rest of the chapter. But verse 14 takes care of us, doesn't it? Doesn't 14 cover all that mess? What happened to the law of Moses? The handwriting. And whose handwriting was it? God's. Did someone blot it all out? Amen. Amen. That was against us. Every time you've broken a commandment of God, Jesus has already blotted it out. You say, even the ones that God wrote? Of course, even the ones that God wrote. It says it right there. But we want verse 10. And ye are complete in Him. In the first nine verses of Colossians 2, the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ has been exalted about as high as it can get. Look at verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Look at verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Don't let anything be taken away from the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand Him and believe on Him as the Bible declares Him to be. And that last verse is pretty powerful. The Lord Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead in a human body. And ye are complete in Him. There's two things that we need to do about doctrine. Number one, we never let anything be taken away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why in this church we fight that He is not the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal Son and the only begotten Son of God through Mary. We will not let anything be taken away from Him. He is not a God. He is not a begotten God. Like the New American Standard Version says in John 1.18, He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, not was a God. That is the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They had to corrupt the Word of God in order to support their heresy. Jesus is God. Don't ever let that be modified. He is not a begotten God. He is not a God. The first nine verses. The other point of doctrine that we will not let be compromised is nothing gets added to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who won the victory by Himself. He alone tread the fierceness of the wrath of the winepress of Almighty God. Ye are complete in Him. Colossians 2.10 You are perfect, my brethren, in Christ Jesus. Neither you nor anyone else can add to your salvation. Neither you nor anyone else can take away from it. 
Satan has nothing to accuse you of because you are complete. You are perfect in him. He is the fullness of the Godhead. The devil, though he be a highly exalted angel once, is no comparison to the great God. And Jesus is the great God and he's your savior. You are fully accepted in God's sight in Christ Jesus by legal representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been made accepted in the beloved and your enemy cannot take that away. Though he might envy it and hate it with all the malice in his being, he is not so accepted. He is not so beloved and he cannot alter your position in Christ Jesus because ye are complete in him. Whenever you start to doubt that you are not complete, you are choosing sides with the devil. Those are the fiery darts that he flings at your heart. Where you should run is to Colossians 2.10 and say in the privacy of your room, when you think you're being attacked, I am complete in him. And then go ahead and read the rest of this passage. Because do you want to know what the rest of that verse has to say to that person? That being that's in your room trying to afflict you? Is there something else in verse 10? Which looks out of place. Why is it stuck there? Because he doesn't want you to know that you're complete in him. He wants to take away the confidence of the complete victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Can the devil bring something to accuse you? No. Can the devil do something to keep you from the love of God? No. What does Romans 8, 38 and 39 say? I am persuaded that neither principalities, powers, angels, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God loves us through Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate that holy, glorious chain of God's love for us. Do not let the devil cause you to doubt your salvation. Run to Christ by faith and believe on Him. And add to your faith virtue. And add to your virtue, Colossians chapter 2 10 through 15, which is adding knowledge to your, virtu- to your virtue. Let the Word of God build up your faith. You have a champion at the right hand of God. He has defeated the devil. He has destroyed him that had the power of death. There was war in heaven, but he's been cast out into the earth because he knows he has but a little time. And Jesus has forever with us. You are complete in Him. All authority in the universe is His. Your enemy is conquered and under Christ's dominion. He is the stronger man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, in whom also. Well, who are we in? We're complete in Christ. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh By the circumcision of Christ. Was Jesus circumcised on the eighth day? Yes, he was. Is Colossians 2.11 referring to that? Not at all. Their circumcision is mentioned three times in this verse. First of all, you have something that you need to have cut off. 
you have some extra flesh that you don't want and you don't need and it's your sins. And who cut it off? The Lord Jesus Christ cut it off. And how did He cut it off? By taking your sins upon Him when God cut Him off. God cut Him off out of the land of the living because your sins were upon Him. Isaiah 53 tells it to us directly. Just that way. So that Paul would come along and say in Galatians 5, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters anything in Christ, but a new creature, but faith which worketh by love. The circumcision of Christ is Jesus being cut off for your sins being upon Him by the wrath of God. He was cut off out of the land of the living to pay for your sins. He died and we will remember His death this day. Jesus truly circumcised you without hands by a divine spiritual transaction where His death cut off your sins. And a piece of extra flesh fell away. Your sins of the flesh your lust of the flesh in a legal way. Oh, that's what verse 11 means. He wants you to believe. Paul wants you to believe that you're complete in him. You say, but I still have sins. You don't in the sight of God. Why are you whining about them? Repent, confess them, and go forward. Jesus has already paid for them. You were fully circumcised. Do you think God's a surgeon that doesn't know how to do his job? Then why are you letting the devil convince you that you still have sins? Of course we still sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ was circumcised for sins past, present, and future. Does that mean we should continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? But we will from time to time. But Jesus has paid for all of them. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also, that is in baptism as well, ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, after dying to save us and destroy your enemy by his death, Jesus was raised from the dead by God, so you are completely saved. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then it may have been those sins that plague you and bother you that kept him there. But Jesus came out of the grave proving that your sins were fully paid for. Buried with him in baptism, we're also risen with him in baptism. When we're baptized, we confess by our baptism that we believe Jesus destroyed our enemy by his death and rose again to be at the right hand of God and he cast the devil out of heaven. There's no room for a Catholic or Presbyterian baptism in this passage because it says we're buried in baptism, we're risen in baptism, and baptism is an act of faith through the operation of God. They don't have faith because they baptize infants, and they don't have burial or resurrection because they just sprinkle pour or rub. Thank you, Lord then somebody will come along and try to say that it's literal circumcision in verse 11 and baptism replaced it in verse 12. Oh yeah, covenant salvation. That's heresy too. There's no no physical circumcision in verse 11. Unless some man wants to put his son up for circumcision made without hands. So let's give the dull knife to a man's feet. 
You say you're being ridiculous. Of course I'm being ridiculous right now. But I'm not being as ridiculous as thinking that New Testament baptism replaced Old Testament circumcision. If that's true, little girls can never be baptized. And we could go on and on and on. If you want to go on and on and on, then just go to our website, type in Bible topics, type in baptism, type in circumcision, and sit back and laugh from your belly. That's what Presbyterians have to resort to to try to get infant baptism into the New Testament. Since, of course, there is no baby being baptized in the New Testament. But I don't want to get off on that. Circumcision and baptism are unrelated spiritually, grammatically, and every other way that you can imagine. They're not connected here at all. We are just having a description of how we're complete in Him. We're complete in Him because our sins were cut off in verse 11, because Jesus died and rose again in verse 12, and now verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That is when we were unregenerate, when we were not born again, when we were by nature the children of wrath, in that condition hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. We were forgiven all trespasses in verses 11 and 12, when Jesus Christ was circumcised and our sins were cut off. But having had our sins forgiven, we had to have a change of nature, which we got when we were quickened together with Christ in verse 13. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. No matter what commandments you find in the Bible, and you may find commandments that more easily beset you than others, But when you find a commandment in the Bible that you're guilty of breaking sometimes, just remember Colossians 2.14, which is part of how you are complete, perfect in Him. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Everything God wrote against you that would have condemned you to hell and the devil got you to break them all because he was going to take you to hell with him. But the Lord Jesus Christ blotted out that handwriting that was against us. But He didn't blot out the handwriting that was against the devil. And for His pride, He will spend eternity in torment. And those commandments that God had were contrary to us. Our flesh wanted to do one thing. God's Word said to do another thing. So they were contrary to us. We couldn't do it. We didn't think that way. We sinned over and over against the Word of God contrary to us, and took it out of the way. These commandments that were between God and us, we could never get to God because God said to come to me, you've got to do this and this and this. We could never do it. Jesus ripped them all out of the way. We can run straight into the presence of God, and Hebrews tells us to run into God's presence with boldness. How can we do it boldly? Because all the sins have been put away and there's a new and living way with the man Christ Jesus who paid for all those sins sitting at the right hand of God. We rejoice that Nehemiah got to meet King Ahasuerus with Esther sitting beside him. We should get infinitely more excited that we get to meet the God of heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ sitting beside him. and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Not literal nails. This is a spiritual transaction, just like the circumcision earlier. A spiritual transaction took place where all those commandments, Jesus just nailed them to the cross, meaning 
He was nailed to the cross and all those commandments were fulfilled in Him. First of all, He kept every single commandment on your behalf. Second of all, He died the death of the curse of the law. Did you know that whoever was hung on a tree was cursed? He took, he took every measure of the law that there could possibly be. He couldn't let the Jews stone Him. He had to die a death of crucifixion because to hang on a tree was a curse by the law of Moses. So positively, He kept all the commandments. Negatively, He suffered the curse of the law. Are you complete in Him? What else could He do for you? How else can language be written in the words of verse 14 to say that all those commandments are gone? Somebody try to write me a more concise sentence that can say it that many times as the 14th verse. I have one more verse. And having spoiled principalities and powers. Oh, we're back to dividing the spoils from Luke chapter 11. Now isn't this sweet? He introduced it in verse 10. Now he's going to elaborate on it just a little bit more. Having spoiled principalities and powers. What did he do? With the, if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, that means I'm breaking up the kingdom of Satan. No doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus had just cast the devils out of a man in Luke chapter 11. The spoils are you. You were his goods. You were in his palace. The Lord Jesus Christ, the stronger man, came and took that kingdom apart and rescued you out of it. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he took the things they thought they had. Oh, the things they thought they had. He made a show of them openly. While they thought they had him hanging on the cross because he was dying and because he was alone, by that very death, he was making a show of them openly. By taking the death in our place, he rose from the dead and showed himself openly. Didn't Peter declare that to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Do you know the Bible says that was Satan's hour? The Lord let Satan get him in as vulnerable of a condition as possible. This was Satan's hour. Luke 22, verse 53, and John 14, 30. But Jesus shamed him. Our man made up for our enemy getting into our first household and seducing and deceiving our first grandmother and convincing her to commit suicide. I don't know what I need, what words I need to use to get you to understand the seriousness of the enemy that we have. But Jesus destroyed him, shamed him, spoiled him, took us out of his kingdom, and made an open show of the devil, triumphing over them in it. And what is it? What is that pronoun there? What's its antecedent? The cross, the death. In, the, in verse 14, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. There is a singular noun, and we're, we have it referred to by it, in it. In his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ triumphed over the devil, paying for all our sins, taking the full curse of God, so there's nothing left to us, nothing can be laid to our charge, because it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God thinking they had him dying on a cross, forsaken by God. Can you imagine the devil? And we do not know the inner workings of his heart except the perpetual hatred and malice toward Jesus Christ and his people from cover to cover in our Bibles 
But there, Jesus Christ was crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? From the devil's standpoint, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But something went wrong. The sun went dark. Will you just delight in this for a minute with me? The sun went dark. A thief repented. What a Savior. He's giving his life, and there's enough power to say live, to a cursing thief. Rocks rent. The veil was ripped from top to bottom. A centurion worshipped and declared, truly, this man was the Son of God. He rose again from the dead. Many saints also rose for a public showing. They showed themselves in Jerusalem. He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. Give him glory, my brethren. He ruined their access to heaven and cast them out to the earth. You're complete. You're saved. Salvation is perfectly finished. What a glorious thing. And you know what? If you believe that and delight in it today, the Lord Jesus Christ has just right, kept right on working for you by giving you life through His Son. If you cry, Abba, Father, and say, Thank you for raising up a conqueror to defeat my great enemy, it's because the Spirit causes you to cry, Abba, Father. It's all of God. What are you going to do for it? Are you going to resist the devil a little bit this next week? If you'll resist him, he'll flee from you. Are you going to reason like Paul? If one died for all, then all were dead. That they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. We have a champion. It's the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that the whole universe exists for this drama to take place? God did not make an accident, create men. Some of them sinned. He got them, they sinned. He got into trouble with his plan and had to redeem them. Oh, no. The whole universe exists for this drama that I just told you about, and it is celebrated right there. And as I talk to some of the men at break time, there's nothing that President Obama can do at a state dinner, no matter what foreign heads of state may join him, and no matter what the fare may be on that table, and it will be the best our nation can offer. This is the greatest dinner, supper, meal, table in the universe. And in simplicity, this little church, a remnant of them that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, are going to come together and remember the triumph of Jesus Christ. Through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. They thought they had him. He had them. What a Savior. Love him with me. Amen.